So things just got really hard and I just had to leave because I just don't have time, you know. I'm sorry to even have this conversation. It really sucks. What are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about loads of different things. We've got a whole variety of topics on our list because we've been doing so much stuff. Like what? <laughs> where, where do you want to start? Okay, well let's start with Laracon. Laracon is the annual event, well the US Laracon, where you get loads of people from the Laravel community together and people will be speaking and all sorts of things like that. We are sponsoring Laracon as community sponsors, which is exciting. I will be going, and it's in Georgia, in Atlanta. Paul is not going because the, it's hosted in an aquarium, and a vegan in an aquarium is like a cat in a dog park. So that's absolutely not going to happen. Conscientious objector. Conscientious objector, yes. <laughs> so it wasn't a reluctant sponsorship, though. I mean, it's like a, if you wanted to sponsor like a vegan thing or something one day in 50-50, I'd be, yeah, I'd be all guns blazing for that. If people, there's probably two listeners who are like, what the fuck is Laravel? Oh, okay. Yeah, Laravel is, yeah, no, that's very true. <laughs> Laravel is a PHP framework that is used to build Fathom. So it's very important to us and very dear to our hearts. So that's why we're sponsoring it. And I'm going to be there and I will have stickers, uh, but you won't know what I look like because my Twitter picture is six years old, where I look, I think, 19 or something like that. So good luck finding me. <laughs> Look for the guy with all the cat stickers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, speaking of stickers, what did we do last week? We ran a, after we published a podcast ago or two podcasts ago, we talked about all of the marketing efforts we've done thus far. Mm -hmm. And then we came up with another marketing effort right after we published that. Yeah. Which has been the most effective and biggest ROI to. Not really, but it has actually no, no. it has garnered quite a bit of attention, I will say. And it's the cat stickers. The cat stickers on Twitter. And you joke, but we saw a 50% increase in the amount of new trials the day after. Admittedly, it did even out the day <laughs> after that, but it doesn't matter. It still worked. It was a great campaign. So the cat stickers was, I mean, yes, it's marketing, but it was also good fun. Yes. We shared a tweet. I just got the stickers, Paul designed the stickers, put them together. They came over to me and I thought, oh, I should just tweet something. People like stickers. We'll probably get 10 to 20 people who want stickers. Fast Speaking forward. of which, sorry, just to interrupt, have you sent me some stickers? I don't have any stickers yet and I want some stickers. Did I have to retweet that to get stickers? Like, are you sending, did I, did I just not do it? Yeah, I don't. Because I want a Fathom sticker. I don't know if you've, and I've sent all the stickers out. Ah. <laughs> There's no more stickers. I'd have to talk to the person who got the stickers printed and get him to print you some. All right. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Stickerception. <laughs> yeah, so we sent out a tweet about the stickers. And oh, so here is a lesson in sticker marketing, okay? Do not tell people to DM you to, to get their prize. At small scale, it works fantastically. When you get into over 100 people doing it, it gets intense. And you've also got to make sure you delete all the messages because if they're sending you their addresses right away, 
you've got to copy that, print it, and then delete the address. And then you've got to send them a message letting them know you've deleted it. So for, for obvious reasons. Because privacy. Because privacy. So I had to go through and do that, and that took a load of time. And I mean, fortunately for me, I had a lot of free time to do that. And I just I just thought to myself, how can I, how else can I? Yeah, do some more. T- it was crazy, but it was really good. And we're going to be sending, we've already sent out actually, where are we now? Wednesday. We've, Tuesday, I mean, Tuesday, the day the podcast released. <laughs> no, people know it's not. Anyway, so all the stickers have been sent out. Except and mine. Except, <laughs> except Paul's. <laughs> and, oh, full disclosure, some of you may get three stickers <gasps> and not two. Now, this was because I got, I got my wife in to help me do the mailing and she put in more than me. So if someone posts three stickers and you only got two, it's not my fault. It's completely innocent. So, full disclosure. <laughs> and you are giving out stickers at Laracon as well. All of the stickers that are left, at least, except for ones that are owed to me, which you will be sending to me. Exactly. Yes. So that is everything on the sticker front. We do have more stuff to say about the stickers, but... It's currently in a stage of a thousand different ideas that we need to talk through after we've done some other things. But there could be some really exciting sticker-related activities coming up. Hashtag subject to sticker cat fam, fathom cat sticker, fathom cat fam, fathom cat family. Yes. Yes. So if we do that, I think that will be very interesting to talk about. Yeah. But uh, do you want to talk about Fathom? Do you want to talk about what we've been working on uh, without releasing what isn't going to be released by the time we get to this podcast that might give things away? <laughs> what, what is going to be released by the time this episode comes out? I'd say so. By the time this episode comes out, I'd expect to see data export, um, at least in testing. We've got a few people that want to test it. I'd expect the API to be chugging along nicely, but not quite released yet. There are some top secret features that nobody knows about, okay? Although I did tell Jack McDade of Satamic about one of them, as we spoke the other day. Pantamic? No. <laughs> he, they're, he's changing the name from Satamic to Pantamic. So there's that, yeah. He's an expert, he's an expert at pants. Yeah, pa- pantless. It says so on his LinkedIn, LinkedIn profile. <laughs> I may have revealed another secret to Adam Wathen, but apart from that, nobody knows except me and you. So we've got we've got something completely game changing in the works. You really don't want to talk about it until it's ready for people to actually look at. But this hasn't been seen before in the privacy focused analytics field, and we've been talking about this concept for a while to actually solve the problem and know how to do it. That's a whole other game. So we're I'd say I'm quite overwhelmed with the possibility. This is this is a huge breakthrough, and I want to share it, but I'm not going to share it <laughs> not until it's done. Exactly, I think that's so, smart. Because that has bit us in the ass before sharing things before they're done and then changing and then Twitter wars or ensuing. People, yeah, or people copying other people. Uh, anyway, anyway. So, uh, yes, lots of things, lots of things <laughs> underway. So, I'm, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, now we've just talked about Fathom briefly. Why aren't we an open startup? I, that's a good question. And I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. So, I'm caught completely off guard, but I do have an answer. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I don't see the value other than voyeurism and virtue signaling. To me, I understand it, I guess, as a movement, but I don't understand. And because I think companies or consumers want transparency from companies, 
but I don't think they care in that way. I don't care if a company like I don't know. We use Help Scout for our emails. I don't know how much they make. I don't yeah. fucking care how much they make. I care that their product works. <laughs> I care that their product does the things that it's supposed to do in order for us to do our support and to clear at our support queue, yeah. which is totally possible, apparently, theoretically. So I just think that the open startup movement. I don't see any benefit to doing it other than to say, "Oh, look at me! I am so transparent." Yeah, it doesn't matter what our MRR is. It doesn't matter how many customers we have. It doesn't matter how many page views we have. Which is why in our demo, it's my personal site because all of that information could just be used to our disadvantage. Huh? Like somebody could look at that and say, oh shit, Fathom's MRR is this. This is proof of market. I'm going to make a simple analytics platform that's a direct copy of Fathom. Which, by the way, it seems to be one a week. I think we get a new competitor one time a week at least. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call them competitors. That's a stretch. But uh, yeah, copycats. Other people, yeah, other people making very similar in terms of design and functionality products. Which they is, copy your your writing, just so you know. They they actually I've gone onto it and they've used the exact same words <laughs> that you wrote, and it's just it's just quality. Oh man! As soon as somebody uses an ugly cat, though, man, I like balls out. Lawyers involved, like that's where I draw the line: <laughs> is stealing cats and copying and our ugly cats. So I honestly don't see a, a point or a purpose to being open with our numbers. I don't see that benefiting our customers and that is the the first thing that I think about when I think about should we do this as a company? Does this benefit our existing customers, yes or no? Sharing that shit doesn't benefit our customers in any way whatsoever. So it's a hard no for me for doing that. It's a great answer. What are your thoughts? (laughs) No, that's a great answer. That is a fantastic answer. I agree with you 100%. I do think it's a brand awareness exercise because people want to know how much companies are making. So even me, I'm curious sometimes. Um, The value it brings me is very little. Just, oh, they're making this. Oh, look at their growth here. It doesn't actually improve my life, but it does make me aware of the brand. Mm-hmm. And that's all it does. So I think it's a marketing exercise. I think that the disadvantage um, outweighs the advantage. It, I mean, it would be fun to share our stuff sometimes, but I think it's fair if we went as far as saying that our MRR is between no, I'm not going to do that. But you could give like stupid numbers, but um, I also think that some people probably think our MRR is way lower than it is, and some people probably think it's way higher than it is, which is just fun. And this is where you can play these games where you can watch the actions of the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've just moving. I was going to talk about this. This is what the the title of the episode was about, where it says Jack is leaving the company. I've been doing consulting work pretty much full time for a long, long time. Because of how quickly Fathom's growing, I am reducing that significantly to the point where I will be doing, I guess, like a, a day a week by the end of, before the end of the year. So that alone gives you an idea of how Fathom is performing without going into the, the details. I've been working on Fathom a fair bit, but I still don't feel like I've had enough time to get things done faster. So, and we've, we've done, both of us have done a lot of stuff considering the time constraints so if we ramp up the time and we keep focused we're going to see so many more product developments for sure and i mean i'm so, i'm lucky because i have nothing on my plate and i don't have kids or yeah. dogs which as well keeps yeah. keeps my keeps my days quite free 
<laughs> I, know, I hate you sometimes. Yeah. Oh yeah, I want to work on this today. Well, no, you, you've done the work to get there. You've got the, um, you're older than me. You've done the work to get there. And I think, yeah, I'm just uh, maybe 20 years behind you, but uh, yeah, it all happens. So I'm, yeah, I'm transitioning into that. I've been working on my course a lot as well. I don't know if people know. I'm going to do a plug. This is sponsored sure. by Serverless Laravel. How much money is Serverless Laravel paying the podcast for the sponsorship? Ah, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, so about that. <laughs> and Paul designed Serverless Laravel and everything. So I was gonna yeah, make I'm a doing... I was gonna make a bad joke because your tweets don't match your site at the moment. Uh, yeah, I know. So like, I, I see the yeah. tweet and I see the image of the amazing branding that I did that just looks so yeah. killer, and then I mm-hmm. click to your website <laughs> and it's like. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I know. De- developers, yeah, it's hard for developers like me to design. That is all I'm going to say. But um, yeah, so Paul's done the design. Tell us about your course. Oh, yeah. So the, the course is scaling Laravel applications using Laravel Vapor. Very specific. Why am I doing this course? Well, because I've got a little bit of experience doing it at a high scale with Fathom. Uh, Vapor has saved us thousands of dollars. No kidding. Paul's got uh, retrieved quotes from, retrieved, received quotes from DevOps people before, and it's stupid money. We use Vapor, and how much do we spend on DevOps? Nil, wait, nil point? French, that's no point, isn't it? Yes. We spend nothing on DevOps and we love it. So I know 2 a.m. wake up calls and everything else. So I'm going to be sharing my knowledge through a course. And uh, yeah, once that's out the door, I'll do a few updates every now and then. But once that's, once that's out the door, I'm going to be working on yeah, a bit more client work, but mostly Fathom. So it's huge. The transition's huge. We're going to be able to get things done so much faster. That is the plan, at least. We do talk about the things that we're going to do a lot. I think currently we're scrapping a lot of our internal stuff to just keep all of our ideas, um, save them better and organize them better because, because we're still basically a new, even though we've been around for a while now, we're still pretty much a new company. And there's still a lot that we... I don't know. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where we'll be happy with all of the features and refinements on Fathom and we're just like, this is good. Now we just like support and market it. Do you think that's ever going to happen? I think there'll be less of a rush. Yeah. So at the moment, we have fantastic product market fit, but there are still a few things that we've discussed that we can add to the product to just make it that much better. And, you know, the secret feature I mentioned earlier, things like that that just put it on an entirely different level, a whole different playing field. So I do feel a rush towards that. I think that there's that initial push where you're making your product more valuable for your customers. And then once you get it to, I mean, it's already at sufficient value, but we know that there's going to be more that we can do to perhaps widen our target audience a little bit more and just to add some more value so they really feel great about what they're getting for whatever they're paying. I think that we want to be leaving more value on the table as much as we can. I really do believe in that. Yeah, I just think we need to temper our wanting to rush with looking at our growth and seeing that it's no small thing that people are paying for our service at the level it's at now, at the features it's at now. And I do want, obviously, we want to keep making it better and keep adding some key things to it. But even as it stands now, 
so many people are gladly paying us because it's providing enough value. And I think that, like I do obviously both of us want to add, improve, and refine how things are, but you know, I don't think we need to feel anxiety or stress around the rush to do those things. No, I'd agree with the anxiety and stress comments. So the way I view it is, say you're paying 14 bucks a month, okay? And imagine you're saving yourself time, you're getting clear insight, you're getting a ton of value from Fathom the product. I still think that, say we doubled the value that they were getting um, in some way. I think that it would then affect, we've already got a low churn rate and I know I'm not going to really uh, rag on about churn, but even if it decreased churn because it was a lot to step away from. That's sort of how I think. And I mean, can we mention the the other feature that's coming up? I think we can. Should we should we go out and a whim and do it? I don't. It's the one. <laughs> what, the fe- what feature is that? No, no, no. The the partnership. Um, well, I'll just say it. if you can't if you don't hear the next sentence, it's because it's been bleeped out. So what we're working on is an integration to do uptime monitoring. And it means that you're going to get that extra value. And uptime monitoring is expensive if you're buying it on its own. So you can have unlimited size on your Fathom dashboard and you can get uptime monitoring. So if your site goes offline, you can get notified. And really, Paul, I know I've said this on air. This isn't on air. What am I talking about? (laughs) I know I said this on podcast, but it's kind of motivated me to just get it done. So we're partnering with a company. We should be anyway, or we're going to code it ourselves. We haven't decided yet, probably partnering. And then we're going to get it out there. So it may even be out there by the time you're listening to this. We'll see what happens. Now I've said this on the podcast. <laughs> but that's an example of what I mean. <laughs> that's an example of what I mean by can we just leave so much value on the table that people just look at it and go, whoa. Because we're also in an industry where people are used to getting Google Analytics for free, mm-hmm. where um, oh yeah, for free, uh, air quotes. Um, so moving people away from that, people are actually realizing, hold on a minute, this isn't free, what I'm getting from Google. And they're, they're feeling really gross about it. And which, is, which is how you should feel uh, giving Google your data. But um, yeah, oh, featuring my daughter. <laughs> you, just leaving that extra value on the table is appealing to me. But no, I don't feel stressed or I don't feel anxious. I suppose, I suppose eager is more mm-hmm. of an accurate word to describe my position. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I also like seeing people that I know and that I've known online for a while who have never talked about privacy in the digital space ever signing up and trying and then converting from trials. And I'm like, yes, like people are people are starting to get, I don't know if it's our marketing, I don't know if it's just more awareness in the public sphere about garbage that big tech companies do with data. But it's just cool to see that. I read a, I think it was on Wired, a story about an email client that sold the data. They basically, because it's an IMAP client, they looked at all of the content and all the subject lines and the body text of all the emails of all their customers and sold that data, I guess, keywords and targeting stuff to advertisers. And it's like, ah, oh, this is so gross. That's like, gross. this is why people hate tech. It's not that they hate tech; it's that they hate the shitty things that some tech companies do. And I think if we can show people that not all tech companies need to act like that or even want to act like that, it's not in our best interest as a privacy-focused company to do anything that breaks privacy. Like, it would just yeah. be such a clusterfuck of PR if we did anything bad with anybody's data. That is just so not worth it for us. We already make money from people paying us for our software. It's such a different business model. 
that I think if we move more towards that, I think people will have less of a hate <laughs> for tech. Hey, maybe. do you think those? So I hear that, and I'm. It's just gross. Do you think that the people at that company, running that company, that they want to do that, or do you think they're, they're thinking this is our only way we can monetize in the way that Facebook did? Because yeah. we don't. We there's never a world that we'd actually want to do that. Whether it's right or wrong is completely uh, is a different thing here. Would we actually want to do that? I, I mean, crazy to me. To me, it seems like they have to do it, right? And I mean, this is my fucking company of one anti-VC hat. But I think that companies sometimes put themselves in positions where they have to do things to grow, to meet quotas, and to be at a certain level so their investors make their money back. And I think sometimes it's just that, well, we don't have a choice. Like, we have to do this. Like, we're not making enough money for this or to pay for our lavish offices and foosball tables and <laughs> that kind of shit. That it, it has to happen. And, and there's, I was reading a story on The Verge the other day about how, like, the head of HR at Google, I think, quit. And just all of these things, because they've had just such awful track records internally with employees. Amazon is, Getting mad at employees who are calling them out publicly for grievances about environmental things. They can't even run their own houses. So, how can they treat their customers well? No, I remember you mentioned that because Amazon were mad because they were speaking as Amazon employees. Mm. It's that whole thing about, you know, on Twitter, these are my opinions and do not represent my employer. Retweets are not endorsements. Yeah, exactly. I reckon Amazon got stroppy about that. And people have said this before, they're not doing enough, not just Amazon, but other companies. They've promised to do this, that, and the other, and they're not doing enough. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think they haven't really got a choice, to be honest. You know, it's, it's uh, having more sustainable infrastructure, the servers and everything else. I think that's going to happen. So, yeah, so some tech companies do have to do this kind of stuff. It's just gross. Can you imagine running that kind of company, knowing you do that? It's like knowing that you invade. No, I'd, I'd go to bed feeling shitty about myself every night. No money's worth it. No <laughs> money's worth it. It's not worth it. No. It's like the guy that no. sold Instagram to Facebook, and then he felt so bad about it that he left before his. I think it was his stocks hadn't. Yeah, they didn't invest because he had to be there for a certain amount of time, and he just didn't. Okay, care. you're familiar with it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and he just felt so bad, and he couldn't. He didn't kill himself, and that's not. It's not that morbid, but uh, he couldn't live with the decision he made. Yeah. I think that that's common when you are chasing growth at all costs and chasing, like, I don't even know what, like, we're growing fairly well. We are at a point where you can step back from the other work that you're doing. I don't need to step forward to more work, I guess, I guess in my situation. And it just seems like there's no, there's no need to rush. We don't have to artificially inject some sort of hyper growth because we're, get, like, we're getting there. We don't need to do things like targeted ads because that's the antithesis of what we stand for as a business. So, talk, yeah. And we also don't need, we also don't really need them. If our growth rate was a bit higher, that'd be cool, but it's also not the end of the world that it's at a pretty decent rate as it is. Yeah. And advertising, there was an article I read the other day. I don't know if you posted it. The paid advertising, the entry level to that really is who has the most money. Not entry level, but if you're competing at a high level, especially, you need the most money. So anyone can compete at that level. And guess what? Most consumers don't really care about your adverts. Most consumers are aware of your adverts. You'll still get adverts that perform, that's not what I'm saying. But you're going to have to spend a lot more money. Your cost of acquisition is going to go up. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. And it can turn into an arms race, basically, if you have competition advertising on your keywords. (laughs) 
Yeah, I just don't think it's worth it, to be honest. I think it's... Someone posted the other day, I think it might have been John at Ghost, but how the rankings working in Google now, they've got a stupid amount of adverts on the first page Mm -hmm. and the organic rankings are off into page two. This is gross. And there's just a tiny little thing that says add on it. Yeah. Now, it looks the same as organics. Yeah. Are you now going to have to pay to be on the first page? Are we all going to adapt so that we literally click onto the second page? Will there be the browser plugins that take you directly <laughs> to the second page? Or you must be able to get stuff that hides the adverts, though. Maybe. I'd install a Chrome plugin for that. Hide ads on Google. I don't use Google that much, but sometimes DuckDuckGo just sucks. Okay, DuckDuckGo is my default, and probably 95% of the times I'm searching for something. You can't say that. They listen to this podcast. Who does? DuckDuckGo. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> slag him off. That's, I totally can. What Paul means to say is that he loves <laughs> DuckDuckGo is the best search engine he's ever used. It, Dude, you're not the only person to say that. Though. <laughs> it is so good at what it does and so bad at just specific things. Like if I'm searching for some code example, it just doesn't work. Like I can't find anything. Mm-hmm. Like it just for some reason it doesn't work, and I have to go to Google. But I also have like scripts that block Google, and I like everything that DuckDuckGo stands for. And as a business, I think they're great, and that's who I use. Yeah, nine, probably ninety five percent of the time, gladly. But there's just a couple things where I, I just I'm just like, why can't I find this thing? <laughs> You're not the only person with that complaint for sure. No, I've heard many people say that they'll try DuckDuckGo and end up on Google. Yeah. Well, it's just like if people have paid acquisition channels and they want to use Fathom, they probably it, it doesn't make sense. Not every product is right <laughs> for every person. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. <laughs> but we we haven't actually mentioned the big privacy sector news. Um, we haven't mentioned hey, 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 hi, hello, hey girl, hey. So <laughs> yeah, Basecamp have recently announced that they spent. $600 million on hey.com, uh, something like that. I think 600 uh, a lot of money. My guess is in the eight figures. They're, they're never going to say how much they spent on hey.com. No, for sure, for sure. But I, my guess is probably 20, 30 million, just a guess. But I like guessing yeah, no, is fun. It sounds about right. Yeah. So they've made a huge investment in, in this email product. Now the email product, what do we know about the email product? We don't know much. I'm just listening to Build Your SaaS, the transistor guys, and they were talking about it might be like an email account at hey.com, that kind of thing. Because at first I thought it's an email client, which but it might not be. I think DHH said that they own every part. So from the email sending and receiving, so they're not just buying bulk emails off a mailgun or SES or something like that. They're owning the, okay. they're owning everything from start to finish, from the email infrastructure to the client that gets the emails. So that to me is kind of interesting. There aren't very many details, but and that's the other thing. It's kind of iffy on details about things like custom domains because I don't care about getting Paul at hey.com. That to me is not interesting. If I could use them for all of my email, ah, actually, I don't know if I even would. I like Fastmail. I mean, I like what I like Basecamp as well, but we're already using Fastmail. So, what would need to happen for us to switch? Let's talk about this. Yeah. So, the pixel blocking isn't enough. Uh, definitely not enough. That alone will not be the big deciding factor on whether this succeeds. The piece that people get frustrated about is the spam email. Okay, so 
the spam filtering Gmail kind of works. Are people really mad that they're being tracked through their email? So they block the tracking pixel, which Google does anyway. It blocks images by, if you're using Gmail, it will block the images by default. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe. I just, I can't see it succeeding just on the basis of blocking the tracking pixel. I don't think it's a multi-million dollar. I'm not not saying that's their goal, but. I can't see it succeeding just on that. I think they've got to bring their product design to the table, have something that's a pleasure to use. And I don't know, maybe they do more on the receiving. Like, do they block out certain kinds of email? Do they split up the emails better? I don't know. If I, And I don't know what they're doing either, so I can't, <laughs> I'm just speculating blindly here. Yeah, I could be way off. I mean, I, I think if they did better with filters, even right now, somebody put my email address on some tech journalist pitch this person list somewhere. Yeah. Thanks for that, by the way, whoever did that. You're... You are so welcome. Ah, just just wait till the equestrian emails start for you, sir. <laughs> but I get so many emails and they're from personal email. They're not from spam, like it's not like Viagra emails. Those automatically, spam filters pick all that shit up. Like that's a default for pretty much every email thing ever, right? But if there was filters to block the people, like the cold outreach people, I don't just get the one email saying like, "Hey, we would love for you to write about our startup." It's the eighteen emails that come after that get more and more passive aggressive. Like, I see you didn't reply to my to my first email. I'm wondering if I can get this back in your inbox. But the last one, it's like, <laughs> "Oh my god, my life is over. You haven't re- fuck off." So, I mean, I think if they if they have smart ways to do things with that, uh, that's interesting to me, and that might make me consider it. But it's hard. Like I looked at Superhuman as well, and even that's not enough. For and that's I think what is it thirty bucks a month? And this is even before all the privacy shit came out with them. This sure. was just here's some new email client that saves you lots of time. I already use hotkey. I like, I think Superhuman's value add is that they have hotkeys. Oh yeah, people love that. Like honestly, I think that's their value add. I already use hotkeys for email. So I, I don't see the benefit. But what I do see for how I think Basecamp will succeed with Hay is that they are masters at taking complicated things and making them simple and nice to use. Yeah. They did that when they were doing interface design as ba- as 37 signals way back then. And with Basecamp as well, I think that's one of their best-selling features is they have a knack, and we know this is a, a quote-unquote simple analytics company. It's hard to do things simple and easy. It takes so much more work for the creators to make something that the user can experience that is both simple and easy and a joy to use. And I respect that they are masters at doing this. So they kind of bring that ethos, which I'm sure they will, to that product. It may be something that does catch on quite well. Yeah, no, that's very good points you've made. I uh, yeah, I agree. I think yeah, if they match the interface design, they beat Google and everything else. That will be a huge selling point. A lot of people will come for the novelty of Hey.com. It's a shorter email address, but um, there's a whole. That's just it. There's no single feature that makes a business succeed. Yeah. it's a combination of everything. Even the marketing, right? Yeah. DHH is going crazy on Twitter. He's mad. <laughs> What's he going to do when he comes for you? He's mad at these companies. So. Oh yeah, he has people. He's like anybody that violates these things is on watch. They're gonna we're gonna make a list. People get angry at him. Oh, that's another point. So someone compared this on Twitter. They said, uh, "Why do we have tracked parcels 
what's wrong with tracking emails? And we discussed this and the, the conclusion, and you can tell me if you agree with this, well, my conclusion was people have valuable things inside a parcel that's coming to their door, their passport perhaps, an expensive item they bought, or maybe even their speeding ticket that the insurance company <laughs> want to make sure you've got. They have expensive things that so needs to be tracked in case it's stolen. Comparatively, an email costs about one cent or less, one cent or less to send. It doesn't need to be tracked. If someone doesn't get your email, it's not a big deal. So whilst I don't fully agree on the premise that an email tracking pixel is universally bad, my, my stance is that it depends what it does with the data. I don't think that you can compare it to a parcel delivery. I think that that's misguided. And you're stupid if you've compared it to that. Yeah, I, I, Jack calls people out. <laughs> I fully agree with that. And I think... As well, if you agree that tracking pixels are bad, then use their product. If you don't agree, then use whatever the fuck you want, right? And I think DHH also made the point of we're not gunning for proton mail or fast mail. We're just trying to exist in a similar market because we believe in that market and think that customers should have another choice in that market. Same with Fathom, like Whoever you use for analytics is cool. If you value privacy, then we're the best and most logical choice. If you don't, then use Google Analytics. Like if you don't value the things that our software does and stands for, the fact that you can see all of your data on a single page in about 10 seconds, whereas Google Analytics, I can't even figure out how to use the reports, then use Fathom. If not, that's fine too. Like we're not trying to crush the market and be a monopoly in the analytics space. We just want to exist to offer people who think similar or who value similar things an option. Yes, yeah. And that's the same with Hey. I think they're doing the same thing. They want to give people who think similar things, maybe not as angry as DHH about them, but still value <laughs> them, uh, an option for those, for, for something that does what you want it to do. Yeah, good summary. I mean, the only thing I do worry about, do you think that the email market is going to be big enough? <laughs> you need literally, you need probably 0. 0.000 something percent to make a huge, huge dent on the industry. You, you, like everyone uses email, except my nan. But uh, and no, not because she's dead. That wasn't a sick joke. But older people don't use email. Most people do. So I'm just googling right now how many how many people use Gmail. The market's huge, so they only need a tiny percent, and then they can. This one report from CNBC says that 1.5 billion users use Gmail. Wow. That's a lot. That's insane. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Well, so we're ending on hey or anything else to add about privacy and what have you? No, I think that's good. Oh, and I'm not leaving the company. Oh, yeah. There's that. We've kind of buried the lead there. <laughs> Just tricked you a little bit. So on that note, Mr. Jarvis... I've been Jack Ellis. And I have been Paul Jarvis. <laughs> Ta-ra. Yes. Bye-bye.